Good morning. I have had that goodness chasing after me and have felt the faithfulness of the Lord, been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and I am Lloyd Peckham. And when I was four years old, they taught me about that, and I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five. Then when I was seven, I said, well, hey, if there are other people that don't know about it, let's go translate the Bible. So that's what I've been doing for 48 years and training others to do the same. And I'm going to read this as if I were a dad reading it to his kids or a grandfather reading it to his children. You don't need to know how they pronounced these names back in their day. It was a different language. Pronounce it the way that's going to be simplest for you to pass it onward another generation. I am reading from Luke 3. This is about preparedness. The Word of God prepared me to go take that Word of God, and it's never going to come back empty. So let's read from Luke 3. Follow along in your own Bible. I'm reading from the New Living Translation so that it sounds just about like God talking to you, and he is. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, and Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. Well, his brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Trachonides. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message came from God to John, the son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and had turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had already spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and the hills will be made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. Then all people will see the salvation sent from God. May God make that word come alive in you. Brother, thanks. Thanks so much, Lloyd. Get ready. Get ready. That's what we're doing. This is this new series we are in in the Gospel of Luke, chapters 3 and 4. Get ready. Jesus is in a season of preparing and getting ready, and so are we in a lot of ways. Now, I just wanted to think about like those moments in life where you are thinking a little bit sort of uh, with extra care about getting ready. Maybe it's even uh, for those of you in school, it's like that, that day where there's a big test coming up and you've got to do all the preparations, right? You've got to get ready. You've got to study. You've got to get a good sleep. Go into that. Maybe it's you've got a big date. 
Maybe you got a big date and you are just kind of, you know, making sure that part is just perfect and kind of just getting everything right, just the right outfit is, is laid out. You're getting ready and you're just getting excited about what is to come. I remember like my whole thing with the first day of school uh, each year when I was a little kid, I would just like be all excited about what I was going to wear. And all it was was just like a surf t-shirt and shorts. And, you know, but it was like the good one for whatever reason, right? Like it was my favorite shirt. And as that, that kind of thing, we're getting ready. Or I don't know if you've uh, had to give a toast or a speech at work or something like that, you know, and you're, you're getting yourself prepared and you really want to be able to say everything right and know what you're going to say and you want it to have that impact. I have that feeling quite a bit sometimes, maybe even now. But we get ready for these moments in life, whatever that is. And what I want us to think about, about getting ready in the sense of this uh, passage that we're looking at today in this series that we're in, uh, it's, it's kind of different though. It's not getting ready to perform. It's almost more like getting ready to go to an art show of someone that you just think is incredible. They're going to be doing a, a piece live for you. You've been looking forward to it and you get to go see a master at work. I mean, Really, it's essentially going to a U2 concert. Okay, so that's kind of what it is. It's like getting ready to go see the greatest uh, performance of all time, a master at work. You don't actually do anything. You are preparing yourself to just go have an incredible time seeing something great happening. That's kind of what we're in here. Prepare to be amazed. And I want throughout this, because there's a lot of this talk of preparation, but we aren't preparing to accomplish something for ourselves. We're preparing to watch Jesus accomplish something for everyone. Okay? That's the distinction. Jesus is the one that does the work. And so what we're going to see even in this series is we have a role in preparation. It'll talk about uh, repent and be baptized, some of this. Like, we have a role in this preparation, but what we're really seeing in these couple chapters is Jesus in this season of preparation for his three years of ministry. We did Luke 1 and 2, which is kind of like the, it's the baby childhood phase. Now we're into the adult stage of Jesus's life. We're starting that, but these chapters are, are him getting ready. His baptism, his time of prayer and fasting, his temptation in the wilderness, uh, even like his genealogy is given. So what has led all the way up to this point? It's this season of preparation. So get ready, get ready to watch the master at work. All right, so we're going to break down these first six verses of chapter three. And the first couple for us here, get ready for the real and true king. Because what we are seeing Luke do in these first couple verses is he is placing this entire story, the story of John the Baptist, the story of Jesus, he's placing you in its historical time and place, all right? That this is all something that really actually happened. So he's showing you what are the, like, what are the surroundings that places this in real life history. This is not a fable. This is not an allegory. This is not a, a fun story made up by people to learn life lessons. This is a real life 
historical accounts. And so that's why you see in those first couple of verses here. And if, if you haven't, I encourage you, grab a Bible, turn to this, if that's on a phone or a device, whatever, but turn and look at these verses. Luke 3, 1 and 2. It says, It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. So we see how Luke is showing you that this is in the world of the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor Tiberius. And then we also go, oh, wait a minute. Luke 2, just the previous chapter, started with a different name in the days of Caesar Augustus, right? Is that famous passage of Luke 2, verse 1. Now we're in the days of Caesar Tiberius. So we, we know we've, we've advanced in the story, right? There's a new king in town of this entire Roman Empire, which for them is like what they would think as the whole world. They were wrong, but it feels like for them, the whole world, right? Everything was ruled by Caesar Tiberius. And then he kind of just keeps, he goes from that big, broad uh, king of, of all, and then down a little bit smaller to this guy Pontius Pilate, who's the governor of their region for Rome. He's a Roman. And we're going to see him, obviously, a little bit later. We see him in Jesus' trial before his crucifixion, Pontius Pilate, and this interaction Jesus has with him. So we're kind of setting the scene for that here. But again, real people, real historical characters. And then it gets even more kind of local and specific to these two Herods, Herod Antipas and Herod Philip, who are both sons of Herod the Great. It's not confusing at all, right? There's actually other Herods, Archelaus and uh, some others. So it's just like, it's, it, gets, it can get a little bit muddy, but these guys are just sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the guy that uh, is known as the great builder. He built uh, Masada. If you've seen some of these things in Israel, he built the Temple Mount, kind of rebuilt the Temple Mount with these huge, incredible stones, like amazing thought going into how this was built. Not Probably not actually by him, right? I think he's just kind of telling people what to do and whatnot, but uh, he, he had the idea for it. And then uh, there's other places like Caesarea Maritime and, and the Herodian. He built these really great things, but he's also pretty horrible. He's the guy that when Jesus was a baby or was a kid, that he was the one that was like, let's go try and kill Jesus by killing all the kids, which is kind of horrible. And so this guy was a cruel leader. His sons are now ruling different regions, kind of more in the north of Israel, and they are cruel leaders also. And so then the story just keeps getting like kind of more local, more local, more local to these religious leaders of these high priests who lead the, who are this uh, Annas and Caiaphas, right? They are the ones that are sort of the bosses of all the people that Jesus calls out, that Jesus reprimands, that Jesus condemns. I mean, Jesus was filled with grace for all, pretty much everyone except those Pharisees, Sadducees, all those religious leaders. That's who those people are the bosses of. So Luke's like, hey, look at all these leaders. 
the Roman emperor, the, his, his helpers here, these people, all these oppressive, cruel leaders or hypocrites, all of that. And now you've got a voice of a man named John living out in the wilderness, and he's out preaching, and we're going to see what he does in a moment. Because it's this world that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are, they're, <coughs> they're kind of like in a position again where they're crying out. They're in a position where they haven't heard a prophet speak for quite a long time. They haven't heard the voice of God for the people. And they're, they're needing to hear the voice of God, but they're actually needing something more. They're needing God himself to show up. And that's what we're going to see happen in this story through John the Baptist and who he will prepare the way for. So just want us to like recognize there that all of this takes place in a real historical time. Uh, and then that's the king we're getting ready for. But now let's get into what is this message and who is this guy, John, and what is he doing? Now, it says John, the son of Zechariah. Remember, we studied about Zechariah. As he even had this vision, and he couldn't talk for a long time and all that. And then finally, uh, they have this baby in their old age. And uh, John the Baptist in his mother's womb leaps for joy when Mary just comes around, uh, which is so cool that uh, even this guy, John the Baptist, leaps for joy even when he was his mother's womb. And then we get to verse 3. Then John went from place to place, on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So John has this whole message of hope, of the hope of forgiveness. And he has this message of repentance. It's really important as we talk about this guy John and what his baptism is, it's really important as we go through to recognize that this is for this specific time and place, a very specific time and place, all right? And I'll keep talking about that, but everything that John is doing isn't necessarily like, oh, that's what I should do now, right? Like, I should do this. I should live my life either like him or do his baptism, right? Receive his baptism. Not necessarily because there's more to come, but I wanted us to get a little bit of a sense of what is the whole deal with this guy, John? And he, he's talking about baptism, and it says that he's on both sides of the Jordan River. I thought I'd just show you a little map. Uh, there's all sorts of options for maps out there, but you've got uh, the Sea of Galilee. The other name for the Sea of Galilee is the Lake Tiberius, Caesar Tiberius. Still called that. Still a town there called Tiberius. So these people have had a, uh, an impact on this region. And then you see the Dead Sea. And the Jordan River, kind of like the main part that goes through the wilderness, is between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea at the bottom, okay? And it he says he was on both sides of that. On the, the right side of that uh, is the east side of the Jordan River. Today would be the country of Jordan. On the left, you get into Israel or the West Bank, some parts of it. That's uh, why it's called the West Bank, West Bank of the Jordan River, right? Okay, so that's um, some of that region. That's where he is, and that's what he's doing. And it would have been in those waters that he was baptizing. What's interesting to think about, what the people of Israel are longing for and wanting is they, they are feeling oppressed 
maybe even enslaved to this Roman Empire. And they're even oppressed by these religious leaders, these hypocrites who are making them just have an external works-based faith, and they're not even living it out anyways, right? So they're living within that tension, and they're thinking back to when they were enslaved in Egypt and crying out for a deliverer. And you know how they made their way to the promised land was they came up out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, they had a little break in there for 40 years or so, and then they they kept going, and they come up, and they finally enter into Israel this way, okay, across the Jordan River, that God even, like, stops the waters of the Jordan River so that they can now enter the promised land. And so then John's calling people, come down to the Jordan and come into the water and then up out of the water and remembering that you were enslaved and now you are free as you cross into this promised land. And there's all sorts of things of them thinking about the ways that they were oppressed and are oppressed now and how they need freedom. I want us just to continue to think about how do we need freedom How do we need freedom in our lives? How do we need freedom to thrive in our faith? But I'll just kind of leave it there for a second, and we'll keep getting into this. But you've got this whole baptism of repentance, and even remembering as John is this prophet that is speaking these words, repent, 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 turn to God to be forgiven and be baptized here in the Jordan. Malachi, who was, the, like, the, who was the last prophet written in the Old Testament, uh, before you get to this period of 400 years of silence till we get to the stories we're in now, he said, return to me and I will return to you, to the people of Israel, calling them to return to him. And so let's think about repentance for a little bit, okay? Repent. He's calling them to repent. Now, to repent means like you might classically think of it as to turn from your sin, right? To turn away. So it's a 180 degree. You're facing this way. To repent is to go this way, okay? So to repent, you are walking down one street, and your repent is you're going to turn away and walk the other way, right? That we are oriented Okay, we are, our view, our perspective is towards sin, towards self, towards greed, towards our lusts. That is our orientation, okay? Our orientation gets off and goes in that direction towards sin. And God says, repent, turn from your sin, and, turns towards, and turn towards God. That now we are facing towards God. We are walking toward God. We are living with our perspective on God. That's to repent, okay? So to understand that that's what he's trying to get them to do, to turn away from all of the things of self and what they want towards the way of God and to turn what they want into what God wants, right? That that is all now aligning as they align with the heart of God, to repent and turn towards him. And I like even how the NLT translates this here that we read. It says they were baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven, right? So they had to turn to God. It's not to get yourself right. And this is where I want us to kind of be careful, even as we're in this John the Baptist part, okay? To get ready, 
We don't have to get ready and repent to like earn forgiveness. We don't earn forgiveness. We are given salvation and grace and forgiveness and love from God as this free, unconditional gift. But he's calling us to this, right, to this repentance. And so this uh, is what is good for our life, I think. This is what a, a good life is. This is what a life with God is, is a life turning away from that other, uh, all those other distractions and turning towards God. But I don't want us to confuse us that we can earn this or that these people had to, to earn it. Now, he's trying to prepare them to watch the master at work. Remember? That's kind of why I wanted to lead with that, that thought that we are getting ready to watch the master do his wonders. And so, so John the Baptist is trying to prepare them for that. And he says, hey, okay, so do it by being baptized. Now, it's a different kind of baptism. There's a lot of weird stuff in this passage, so I feel like I just need to explain some stuff, right? So there, it's like this different kind of baptism. There's, there's a few even like thoughts of kinds of baptism, even back then and now. Like you had back then, people, it was a normal thing to get baptized. Baptism means just to be immersed. And they had these things called mikvah, okay? This is, check this out. These are all over Israel. These mikvah are just these stairs leading down into a pool. It's really just like a hole in the ground that is filled with water, but it has stairs to get in and out of it. There's hundreds of these all over outside of the Temple Mount in Israel because the people, when, before they would go to worship in the temple, would go do a ritual cleansing to cleanse themselves, okay? Now, that's why it gets, like, weird because for them it was a cleansing themselves, going through a ritual to be prepared for worship. Here's another one, like a, a more of a not sort of made nice one. <laughs> it's a little bit made nice, though, actually. But uh, <laughs> you've got these all over the place. Now, there were some, like, groups that would even just have ritual cleansing were just kind of like part of their, their, uh, their deal. It was like part of their worship practice and people living out in the wilderness. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's just kind of like what they did. They, it was believed that if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, you had to then go into the mikvah to be baptized, to be immersed in that. So that was part of like this even Old Testament practice. Um, but this kind of baptism isn't that. This kind of baptism isn't like our baptisms here at Calvary Church or what we do for what baptism means now. Baptism now means something different. Baptism now is that we, this is a sacred moment that is symbolic of the baptism that's already taken place inside of us, in our, in our hearts and souls, that we already have a, a spirit baptism at the moment of our conversion, that we are now dead to sin and alive in Christ. And when we get baptized in water, that's symbolizing that. We are dead to sin. We, we identify with our, our death and Jesus's death. And then we also identify with Jesus's resurrection that now we have new life in Christ. Okay, so that's some of what our baptism means now very briefly, but this baptism was taking place in the Jordan River, okay? In the Jordan River, and it was a baptism of repentance, a baptism of preparation of hope for the one to come, thinking ahead to who was coming, the Messiah. And look, we got actual footage. It's crazy. Like, we see it here. We had people there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how, how they did it, but they did. Is he super white? He kind of is. Oh, uh, okay. Well, we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, all right. Let's, uh, but so that's like, so baptism is this thing that's going on here. And even in Acts 19, you see that it's like John's followers know that his baptism isn't enough. It speaks of how the baptism of John wasn't enough. You need Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus because they needed more than baptism. They needed God himself. And so get ready for God to make a way. Get ready for God to make a way. And that's what we see is said of John the Baptist. It says, Isaiah, verse 4, Isaiah had spoken of John when he said this, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then check this. Then all people will see the salvation sent from God. That, that John's role is to be a voice shouting in the wilderness, preparing the way, prepare the way for Jesus to come. Prepare the way, make the, make the like, mountains be just down, crushed down to the ground, make all the valleys be filled in with dirt, make the way straight. I like looking, if you uh, want to look at Isaiah 40, I think it's kind of fun with some of these, because this is, says, says Isaiah said this. You can look back to Isaiah, and in Isaiah 40 verse, I'll actually just read verse 3, it says, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. So it's kind of interesting when there's some, like kind of a little bit of a nuance between these. It says, in, in Isaiah, it says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And then in Luke, it says that salvation will be seen by all. Because Jesus is both of those. Jesus is the glory of the Lord. He is God himself. And he comes bringing salvation for everyone. And so that is what is, uh, John is, is preaching. That is what John is doing. And that is what he is preparing the people for. And he, he compares this whole thing to a road, right? Making a way, making a highway. And uh, like roads would have been very, uh, I think like a big deal to them in that time. The Roman Empire, super good at roads. And even where John is, uh, where he's preaching kind of along the Jordan River, if you go south of that is this uh, thing called the King's Highway that leads down along the Dead Sea and then heads out east. And it was the major uh, spice trade route of that time. And so it's this huge highway that was so important. There was another highway along the coast of the Mediterranean, right where they were, called the Via Maris. And it's just this major crossroads where the Roman Empire has now connected Europe, Africa, Asia, and all of that is coming together right there in Israel. This major crossroads of all these great empires are all coming together. And so they think about making a way, making a highway, and all the work that would go into that. That's in their mind as they, as they hear about this. And that is kind of the preparation that John is talking about. I thought even just like look at a, a bit of a modern highway being built. And you think about how 
how much like is in the way of a highway. And what God says that he is doing is he's like, there are all these obstacles. There are all these things in the way when I'm trying to make a way for you. And we're going to clear those all out. God is going to tear down the mountains, fill in the valleys, make the path straight. He doesn't even need any of these giant machines, <laughs> but God is making this way. And so you think about this is the kind of imagery that he wants us to have in mind, that he is making a way when there is no way, a way that is only prepared by God. And so you think about all of these sorts of these roads, these paths, all of that. Think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. Everything you do, acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. He will make a way. We trust in God to make a way. God is making a way for salvation here. And John is pointing towards the one who will make that way. But he's just like, clear out. Let him in. Let him through. This is what we need. We need Jesus. You've done all this other stuff. You've tried to be a good person. You've done the sacrifices. You've tried to obey all of my laws. And even this moment here with me, John, of, of repentance and of his baptism, all of that should just point to the one that brings true salvation. And that is Jesus, and he makes a way when there is no way. And so there's this call to be ready, to prepare yourself for that moment. And so I ask you, how does your heart need preparation? Consider, where are you just even right now? Where are you in relation to God right now? Are you, do you have a relationship with God at all? Are you, would you say, yes, I am saved. I have been forgiven by God. I am a follower of Jesus on his way. Consider where you are. Maybe it's, yeah, I'm, I'm that, but I'm kind of just going through the motions, you know. Or, yeah, I'm that, but I feel like there's just a lot of junk has piled up on the way in the meantime. And I need God to clear that out. There's a lot of obstacles blocking my way. You think about how does the heart of those you love need preparing? There's probably people in your life that you deeply care about that need God to make a way, to prepare a way for them to meet with Jesus. I even think it would be interesting and good for you to think about how has God already prepared the way for you to meet Jesus? Like, what was your life like? What were those milestones like in your life? What were those things you think that God was, was moving an obstacle or getting rid of something or making a, a path that you couldn't see towards him in your life as you think back on those moments? The family you were raised in, for good or bad. The circumstances of your life, again, both, both wonderful and tragic, that have made you think about the meaning of life or sort of nudged you towards a deeper thought process. A friend that talked to you, a Bible verse you heard or read, a song that you heard, a sunset, a mountain, a beach, those moments where you're kind of just 
nudged towards God. A sermon, maybe. A, ra <laughs> a rationale you heard from someone that's like, oh, yeah, this is, this is why it is true that God exists. I get that. Or a power that you felt, a sense from the Spirit that you discerned in your heart, that God is working in your life to lead you to where you are now. God has been working in each one of your lives and giving you moments where now you are like in this place in relationship with him. And maybe you aren't, but maybe God is calling you into that today in the here and now. So the call is to be ready, to get ready, but to get ready to watch the master at work. You don't have to be the master. You don't have to do it. You don't have to make it all happen. You just need to trust in the one that will. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We acknowledge the power of God. So I encourage you in that. As we want a spirit of repentance, we know that we need to turn to reorient our perspective, but we also know it's the power of God that will accomplish that, right? The power of God and God's grace helps us to even turn. And so we acknowledge that. And so what I want us to do is kind of like, as we think about responding to this, all right, as we think about what we're going to do today, Today is one of those uh, days where we're going to have some different forms of prayer. Maybe you knew that coming into today. Maybe you didn't. But today we're going to have some kind of a little bit of an extended time of prayer. And um, we're going to have a couple different ways that we'll do that as we pray and as we sing. But, you know, as we've learned that it's, it's God that removed those obstacles to make a way for us to come to him, we also recognize that God will, needs to remove those obstacles for other people in our life to come to him, for, um, even for us to be able to thrive in our relationship with him. We have these hopes, like, we know we're saved, but we don't feel like we're thriving in this relationship with God or in this Christian life. I feel, I feel blah. I feel like nothing's happening. We need the power of God to remove the obstacles in those moments. And so I want us to pray about that. I want us to pray that we would walk in freedom, that God would, would make a way for us to have freedom from our addictions, healing from our broken relationships, for us to have healing of our bitterness or whatever else in our lives, just get, that God would help us to thrive, to forgive others, to live that full life that Jesus has called us to. And so we're going to pray in that way because I think that the way that we live this out practically is in prayer, okay? The, the, the what can I do? We can pray, and we approach God for this. And so when we need God's wisdom, let's ask for it. When we need God to move an obstacle, let's ask for it. When we need God to make a way, when there's no way, ask for it and declare it with faith in him because he is powerful. And so what we're going to do is uh, just a few different forms of prayer. Um, the first is going to be by yourself. I'll just kind of explain and then we'll go into it, okay? The first is just some time by yourself, a little bit of confession and repentance of your sin. Maybe it's listening to you. What I'd like you to do in this moment is just spend a little time to listen. Lord, what are those obstacles I need to ask you to remove that are in the way? How can you make a way for me, God? Confess and repent of sin in your life to spend some time in that. And then I'm going to ask you to pray with a few people around you as we listen to God for how can we pray for people that God has placed in our heart that we want to have that salvation that Jesus offers. Or we're even just praying for one another, listening 
what does this person need in this moment? Listening to God for a moment. And I'll guide you in that. And then we'll have a time of worship where you'll, you'll be available to come up to the prayer points during that time. So I'll guide us through this, but just sort of start to settle yourself and you kind of put your stuff down. If you want to, if, like throughout this whole time, if you want to kneel, if you want to move around, if you want to get to a different spot, that's fine where you're more comfortable. I want to speak that freedom for you to sit, to stand, to kneel, um, whatever you feel like you need. But I'm just going to pray over you and then I want you just to, to listen for a moment in silence. God, what would you have me pray in this moment? as I confess, as I repent. I'm going to pray over you, and then we'll go into a few moments, a few minutes of silent prayer. Just take a breath. Just calm your heart. Begin to turn your attention to Jesus. Heavenly Father, Speak into each heart and mind here. Show us the things that we need to ask you to remove. Lord, light the way. Reveal to us those things. And help us to confess. And then to repent and turn towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Spend a few minutes in silent prayer. In confession and repentance. Thirty seconds or so.
we, we confess, God, our sin. We repent of the ways that we look in the wrong direction, and we ask, Lord, to give us the power and strength to turn towards you, and that our view and our direction is towards you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The next segment that we're going to do is a little bit more of a stretch for some of you, and um, if, if you absolutely don't want to, you don't have to. You can sit in your own, just kind of say no thanks if people invite you, but I would encourage you to try to stretch yourselves today, even you introverts out there. Prayer is uh, for all of us. And so I'd encourage us to get into groups of three or four, whatever that looks like, um, and just to, to pray for one another that I think along these lines, if possible, of who has God placed in your heart that needs salvation. And then take a moment just to ha like have somebody share who that is, and take a moment to just spend some time listening to the Lord. I don't know what will happen. You might have a sense of something. You might not. It's okay. Let's, let's try. Again, part of this is what we call it's, it's practicing. It's experimenting here. It's a safe place. And that hopefully this can help give you some tools of ways that you can continue to do this outside, okay, of this room. But let's, let's try and do that for one another. So to share, I'm praying for this person. Or I'm praying for this thing in my life. I need to listen for some obstacles. If something's going on in my life, if that's what's bubbling up and it's more important, do that. But don't just talk this whole time. Briefly share, listen, and then pray for each person for the next several minutes. Okay? Ready, set, go. <laughs> You'll need to move around. Welcome each other. Introduce yourselves to each other. Welcome people that are sitting alone. Grab them over to be with you. Go for it.
One more minute, one more minute. Heavenly Father, we, we lift each person up to you that is being prayed for in the midst of this moment. And we ask in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, make a way. In the name of Jesus, make a way for the people that we love and care for to know you, to experience your love and grace and forgiveness. God, through your power, make something impossible be possible, God. In the name of Jesus, do a miracle, Lord. We plead and we ask, but we plead in faith because we know you have and we know you can, Lord. And so Jesus, make a way for us and those in our lives to be close to you.
Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I know, I'm sorry, it's probably interrupting. It's something great happening, and if that needs to continue, continue. Okay, if you want to go to the sides and you want to pray together still or something, you can. But we are in the midst of this moment um, as we sing these next couple songs. You'll have an opportunity to be able to come to the prayer points and to receive prayer, to receive prayer during this time. And so as the band comes on up, I'd love for leaders, if you're elders, pastors, prayer counselors, other leaders on campus, that, you know, in the room that are willing to come and just be available at the, power, at the prayer points or up the front, wherever. If you'd like to come forward to be prayed over for God to remove obstacles in your life or for people in your life to come receive prayer. If you want to just come and kneel here to say, Lord, I, I just as an act of submission to God as we sing these songs, do that. If you if you want to stand, stand. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to sit, sit. But let's just worship our God in the way that he is leading you through his spirit right now. So let's sing together. Let's receive prayer and believe that God can continue to do it again and again and again. Let me pray. Lord, we need you. God, we ask for you to continue to do your spirit's work in each person here. And if there are people sitting in this room that need to be prayed over, God, give them a boldness and a courage and a willingness to just come forward and receive from you. This could be a turning point in someone's life today. So I pray, God, that you would receive this worship, Lord, just as our offering to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.